Welcome to the Principles of Success, interviewing the experts, and today's book review is the second half of The End of the World is Just the Beginning. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So where we last left off, I had the hiccups. So I kind of cut it off, and then today we're going to record the second half, because I had a lot left to cover, so might as well cut it off, and so you don't have to listen to hiccups. So the next kind of half of the book is just breaking down different kind of sectors of a functioning civilization. Like, for instance, money, energy, material goods, and of course, food. So if you haven't watched or if you haven't listened to the first half of this book, go listen to that because I'm not re-explaining anything. So let's dive right in with money. Let's talk about money. One of the reasons why Rome collapsed, there was a lot of reasons, like Rome just got hit hard in every single direction. Uh, one of the reasons why Rome collapsed is a phenomenon known as debasement. In modern terms, that's called inflation. What debasement was is essentially you, you're, they're running off of coins instead of fiat currency. And in fact, you should go listen to my book review on the final, uh, financial matrix exposed to learn more about this subject. But debasement, they basically, they took all of their coins back, all their silver, diluted it with less valuable uh, metals, and then, resold, and then recirculated it as silver. And it's basically, it's just a old school version of inflation. The problem with today is that all our money is completely fake, and it's just built off of the trust of the uh, American economy back in the day. Like, it's not even based off of modern America, this is decades ago America. So basically we're playing with a house of cards, and as things start to get a little more hectic, that house of cards is probably going to collapse. Here's the problem with uh, mineral-based currencies though. They're limited. That, that, I, and it, I think that's a pro, the author calls it a problem. When you have a, the reason why he calls it a problem is when you have a, a finite material as your money, there's only really a couple of ways to grow your material or grow your finances at, at, in terms of um, global ec economics. One is to take everyone else's gold or to debasement. And that's what often happens. You have to either keep growing or you have to start inflating the worth of your money. And here's one of the biggest problems with mineral-based finance. Europe siphoned all of the minerals out of the rest of the world during the colonial imperialist era. There's just not a whole lot left in the rest of the world. Europe siphoned it all off. And then World War I happened, and Europe basically gave America all the gold in exchange for uh, goods so that way they could keep on fighting each other. Well, because of that, America had all the gold, so America became the world currency, and everyone else just based their money, their paper fiat money, off of the American dollar. The American dollar was tied to gold. 
But then some things happened in the 1970s, and Nixon took us off of the gold standard, which then made it so everyone was just um, basing their money off of a fiat currency. So every financial system in the world right now is operating off of fake IOUs that are backed by, you can trust us. However, there were some pros to the fiat age. It made money cheap. You were able to finance all sorts of crazy projects. In fact, um, the entire economic success of China is that they basically just, um, they've been kicking the can down the road, but the subprime mortgage crisis that America dealt with in 2008, where everything was just a giant bubble, China's done that with everything in every sector of their economy, and they just keep inflating it all, and it's more complicated than I have time to explain. And it's all been working great as long as America has, help, has helped keep the global economic engine running smoothly. But again, America's out. America's done. So it all just runs off of momentum right now. And COVID kind of screwed that up a little bit. So it's beginning to lose momentum. And once it crashes, everything is going to crash. Every financial system is going to crash hard, which is interesting because he hates cryptocurrencies. Like, he thinks they are the most useless thing. Uh, and here in a couple of weeks, I think, whenever this video is getting published, we'll be talking about uh, cryptocurrencies. There are some uses to them. I am nowhere near what you would call a crypto enthusiast, but I'm definitely not a crypto hater like this author. So everything financial is going to crash, and part of that is due to uh, global economics breaking down, and part of it is retirees don't pay taxes. Once all the boomers retire, which were in 2020, or 2022, not 2020, starting in 2020, the boomers started retiring in mass. 2022, we're not quite done, but boomers are retiring at crazy rates all across the globe, because it's not just American boomers, um, and boomers have all the money. And when you retire, you take all of the money out of the economy and for simplicity's sake of explaining, stick it under their bed mattress because they need that money to last until they die. They're also not earning any more money, which means the government can't tax in them. So that's also why um, leftists are really pushing for the unrealized capital gains because they don't, they're trying to figure out a way to keep retirees from hoarding the money that they spent their lifetimes earning. But that's going into politics, and we'll skip that. Um, even though I just did a video on, po or an uh, episode on politics. So, basically, to cut all this rambling real short, cheap money is over. There won't be cheap money anymore. So if you want to do any sort of financing for your business purposes, for your success purposes, do it now. Like, I've... Like at the beginning of the season, I t really condemned debt really hard. This is the one year in my entire lifetime that I have ever gone into debt. And I've been financing everything like crazy, even before I read this book. Because, yes, debt is bad. This is also the last time that debt is at all at a reasonable price. So, yes, avoid debt as much as possible. But if you plan on doing any financing, now's the time to do it. Anyway, he ends this section by saying most countries in the world will be facing a multi-long decade depression. He's not the most positive person in the world. 
Now, if that wasn't scary, let's talk about energy. Oil is a miracle. He doesn't mention this, but one of the reasons Rome fell, just like what I talked about, there was lots of reasons. One of the reasons that Rome fell is because their forests just got too far away from the population center. There, and in, at that time, forest equaled fuel. So what did they do to solve this? Well, first, they created charcoal. They would chop down the forests, burn the logs into charcoal, and then transport the charcoal, because charcoal was uh, had more energy per weight, so that way they could transport it. But even that eventually got to the point where it took more energy to produce the energy than the energy was worth. And that was another reason why Rome collapsed. They just ran out of energy. When a country runs out of energy, it's in trouble, especially in northern climates. But back to improving life through energy. We'll talk about oil more in a sec. There are only three ways to improve your lot in life as a nation. First, conquer big sections of land, so that way you just have more land to work with, more resources to work with. Second is give the populace a stake in the system. This is why capitalism has worked so well in most countries. And then third is drive back the night, aka lights. Now let's talk about the history of energy oils. First up, let's talk about whale oil. Whale oil was great. It was energy dense and it was abundant until we killed them all. There's a reason why whalers was such a big profession back in the day. But then we started messing around with coal. We'd already been messing around with coal, but we specifically we started messing around with methane, natural gas, the byproduct of coal mining. And that's why in some of the earliest industrializing nations, the original streetlights were all gas-powered. And the original house lights were all gas-powered. Uh, there wasn't very many safety rules for that, so lots of people suffocated to death. But at least they had light, which, mean, which meant they could work longer hours and generate more wealth for themselves. Then we started getting into kerosene, which is a oil product, and then we started figuring out oil. First off, there's wind oil, the transporting of the seas, also known as diesel. It replaced sailing and steam engines, and it made it so much easier to sail across the sea off of diesel instead of wind. Then there was the horse oil traveling across land. We call it gasoline. And it made it so that way you didn't have to ride a horse and deal, and cities were drowning in crap before this. Literally, they were worried about people suffocating from all the crap of horses. Oil meant that your, um, when you had oil and your enemy did not, it meant that your soldiers were fighting men, your soldiers on, with motorcycles and tanks were fighting men with horses. This is why France got really screwed over in, I want to say, the First World War, because Germany had an industrialized war machine and France was on horseback. So because of this, it meant transporting your things were easier, transporting your armies were easier. Before the American globalization, oil was very in-house and safeguarded. If you had oil and your enemies did not, you won. So the last thing you wanted to do was trade oil to your enemies and also give the secrets of oil production to your enemies. But all this ended when America used its power to break up everything. Which, as much as people can dislike America for it, it freed up energy for pretty much the whole world instead of it just being in the hands of a couple of nations. Because most of the world has terrible oil resources. And the places where oil is abundant are just really crappy places for the most part. It's either deserts 
frozen tundra, or deserts, for the most part, and it all sucks. So, by freeing it all up, it meant that the oil places could trade the nice places for food, and the nice places could trade the crappy places for energy. But with America pulling out and global trade possibly diminishing, well, it'll be a problem, especially for places like China, where all of their oil comes from a route that is full of people who hate China, particularly India. And in a world of scarce resources, why would India let China get the oil when they can take all the oil for themselves? America is one of the few exceptions. America is not very reliant on the rest of the world for oil. This is another reason why blaming Putin on the rising gas prices here in America is dumb. Anyway, you must have oil. It transports everything. Everything relies off of oil and gas. Here's the per- but here's the biggest problem for this section. Once everything breaks down, and not everything has broken down, global supply will only be able to meet 6% of demand. Now let's talk about some other energies. Green tech isn't an option. Most places don't have enough wind or sun. Energy transportation doesn't work. You, there's just not a battery powerful enough to store electrical energy produced by those sources. Producing energy in one location and then tr- transporting it to another location doesn't work. Their wires are expensive. And just to put it into perspective, California, the most progressive state in the entire yeah, in the entire world in terms of green energy, all of California's energy storage capabilities, not just battery batteries, energy storage is enough to supply energy for one minute. I don't remember if that was for the city or, or for a, a main city or if it was for the whole state. But anyway, one minute. Also, if you thought the oil supply chain was a mess, batteries supply chain is way, way, way more complicated, which means coal is most people's only option and you will only get to stay at a modern living style if you somehow pull off imperialism. However, that's because he doesn't know about some of the things I know, because this is where some of my expertise crosses with him, which is why I read the book. Uh, If you want to know more about um, Americans, you don't really need to worry too much about this, but for the rest of you guys, if you want to know more about how to produce your own energy off-grid, including off of a global grid... I am producing lots of TikToks, and uh, it's under my name, Nathan Dickinson, but I'm calling it the Zion Home Project. So go watch that. Just one example, you can create cooking gas from a biodigester, which is just basically compost sealed in a container, and you're capturing the methane gas that comes off of the compost. Anyway, moving on. Materials is the next section. I'm going to go long on this episode because I cut the other episode a little short, but it's fine. Electric vehicles require way too many materials scattered across the globe. Electric vehicles are not an option. Next, for the rest of this section, we just basically cover all the different materials. Iron. Due to how everything's going to break down, the guys who produce iron ore, they're going to be fine, for the most part. However, the guys who take that iron ore and turn it into steel, most of them are not going to be okay. So what that means is there's going to be lots of iron and no, not lots of iron ore and no metal. You also need ports and cheap electricity to be able to turn it into steel. And there's only one place that wins at that, and that's America. Next, aluminum. China produces almost all aluminum. 40% of aluminum, of the cost of aluminum, is from the electrical input. Again, only America really wins. 
The nice thing about aluminum, though, is it's really easy to recycle. So a lot of nations will be able to meet most of their aluminum needs by implementing very strict recycling things in terms of aluminum. Copper? Copper will be fine. Cobalt? Relies solely on Congo and China, and neither one of those places are going to do very good. Cobalt is one of the materials needed for batteries. Lithium is the other half, and lithium supply is fine. However, it is refined in China. And again, China is collapsing, or going to, is one of the places that's going to collapse the hardest. Also, lithium, and by the way, lithium batteries is what we're talking about. Lithium is useless without cobalt. Silver is fine, and it's needed for superconductors. Gold is going to be fine. Lead, lead is going to be fine, and that's where a lot of batteries are going, lead-acid batteries, so lead has its uses. Next up, rare earth metals. Electronics are what are rare earth metals. Electronics are reliant on rare earth metals, and it's all reliant on China for the refining purposes. Silicone which is the main material for solar panels, it needs a lot of electricity, which means nobody will be able to produce solar panels to produce electricity except for America. So for most nations, even if the rest of the green energy problems were solved, they just won't be able to produce uh, solar panels because right now China produces them all and China won't be around. Uranium, nuclear, the only... Two nations that will really be able to pull off nuclear is USA and Russia. Japan and France will be fine if they're able to find it. And everyone else is going to have troubles. Zinc. Corrosion corrosion control. It's what we put on our steel to keep it from rusting. And luckily, that one has no problems. Now let's talk about deindustrializing real quick. So with everyone not having any energy demand, that means they have to deindustrialize. Modern manufacturing is screwed. And before you think about, um, like, ah, I'm not too reliant on things. Let's talk about blue jeans. Blue jeans, Japan makes the buttons, Spain's, it's Spain's dyes, Chinese cotton, several nations' metals uh, for building the machines. Uh, designs come from globally. Labor is in a whole nother different section. So just for something as simple as blue jeans relies on a global economic system that isn't going to really exist too too much longer. I'm going to skip all of this section. Basically, it's just talking more about how um, manufacturing is screwed. Let's talk about wood real quick. If oil isn't available, people will decimate forests. Now there's, again, this is going into the realm of something that I know more about than he does, but for the most part, because most people don't know about it, yes, the forests will get decimated because people will use wood as their only energy source. Now let's talk about the last section, and this is the section that is actually scary. Yes, energy is important, but you're not going to die if you don't have any electricity. However, we need energy to produce food, and that's the next section, famine. He predicts that at least a billion, with a B, people will die in the next couple of decades from starvation. And another couple billion will be dealing with malnutrition. And that's kind of the other half of the Zion Home Project. One half is all about meeting people's energy needs, and the other half is meeting people's food needs off of very small amounts of labor and land. And this is something I've been working on for a couple decades. So again, if you want more information on that, go check out my TikTok channel, Nathan Dickerson. Anyway, 
Back to famine. Wheat is a weed. Wheat is awesome. And I don't know why people like to condemn wheat so much. Uh, on this very podcast, I've d condemned grains health-wise. Uh, we're purely talking calorie-wise. And if people are starving, starving is a lot less healthy than the health consequences of grains. Anyway, wheat is more caloric dense than most other grains. You also don't need to pay any attention to it. You plant it uh, in planting season and you come back in harvest season. And the rest of the time it just sits there because it's a, it's a grass. The problem with globalization is that everyone started growing not for their own location, but for what made sense in a profit way globally. So the places that were best suited for growing corn only grow corn. The Kiwis only do cows. And then other places where growing food is kind of hard, they stopped growing food pretty much altogether and then just started producing other things that they could then sell for food. Like, for instance, Egypt. Egypt grows pretty much just cotton. So due to this, most nations will have to very frantically try and retool to start growing more food locally because they won't be able to get it globally. However, there's a quite a few problems with that. For instance, Egypt and cotton, because they're going to have to retool really quickly, it means that there's going to be a cotton shortage, which means a clothing shortage, which means factories that produce clothing are going to have to shut down. Also, remember this thing called the energy crisis? Um, electricity shortages where people won't have the energy to even keep the lights on? Well, at the very beginning of last week's episode, we talked about the water wheel and how it made processing grains a whole lot easier. Here's the problem. Modern grains are processed by electrically driven mills, and there's just not enough water wheels to process all the grains needed for population purposes. So again, not enough energy for food production. Also, all modern fertilizers, the things that make plants grow, are all based off of petroleum. Oil, the thing that's also not going to be around very much. Then there's financing. You need financing for seed, fertilizer, animal studs. Modern, equi modern equipment costs millions of dollars. And again, there's not going to be that much money. So the food sector is going to be hit hard by the lack of money. It's going to be hit hard by the lack of manufacturing. It's going to be hit hard by the lack of energy. The global trade network is going to break down, so the places that were producing goods for food, they're going to starve. The places that were producing just one type of food are going to have to really retool really fast, because it doesn't matter if you produce a ton of oranges. You can't live off of just oranges. So here's some of his solutions. I'm just going to breeze through these real quick, because this is where the Zion home, is entire, its entire purpose is to address these, and he's just a novice on this particular subject. So gardening. Gardening gardening is really important. You're going to have to start gardening for most of the people in the world. Americans, it's probably still going to be optional for you. I'd still say it, but it's probably going to be optional. Uh, international goods like cotton will disappear while people try to grow enough food. We already top covered that. Variety will disappear. So a lot of places, gruel is going to be your main diet again. You're a lot of people are going to go back to very subsistent-based diets, and it's going to suck. A lot of people will not have access to meat. There's just not going to be a lot of meat available for people, and it's just going to be really expensive because not everybody's going to have the money to be able to afford meat. Rice. The rice world is in serious trouble because rice is a heavy labor, heavy water deal, and 
you need fertilizer, human poop, to be able to grow the rice, and which means you have to relocate the people back into the countryside to be able to grow the rice. So all the Asian countries are going to have to deindustrialize super quickly. Then he talks about climate change nonsense, um, things that aren't going to be available, meat, less meat for everyone, coffee, tobacco, bananas, all of, avocados for a lot of places. All those are going to be a lot harder to um, acquire. And famine is the number one killer. It is the thing that has killed pretty much all, almost all humans. It's not war. It's not old age. It's not disease. It's famine. People starving to death. And most of the world is going to be facing major famine problems starting in September. And it's not just this particular expert. This is all of my, um, for lack of a better phrase, geopolitics experts. They're all saying the world is going to start facing some major food shortages in September. Anyway, so now I am going to talk about the Zion Home a little bit. So the Zion Home is a system of design that is combining permaculture, which is agricultural purposes for um, that are not reliant on energy inputs and stuff like that, and simple technologies to produce all of your energy needs. So the Zion Home project is my next main project, and that is making a house that is completely self-sufficient from the rest of the world. Now, it, you can't get completely self-sufficient, but you can meet all of your energy needs and all of your food needs off of this design off of a two-acre plot of land. However, you can meet most of your energy and your food needs because most of my listeners are in America, uh, and probably most of them live in the suburbs, or their parents live in the suburbs. You can meet most of your energy and food needs off of a suburban plot. And if you are curious about this, especially after talking about this particular book, go check out the Zion Home Project. Uh, on my TikTok, uh, Nathan Dickerson. And if you guys ever want to message me and yell at me for talking about random crap when I should be talking about business stuff because this is a success podcast, uh, go to my Instagram at Nathan Dickerson. Anyway, so the Zion Home is basically just a way for most people across most of the globe to mitigate the disasters that this particular book is predicting hardcore. And it's just so that way you can meet most of your energy needs, so that way you're not start, and most of your food needs, so that way you're not starving in the dark. So yeah, the next uh, few um, episodes of book reviews are going to be relating to this topic, because I re pre-recorded a whole bunch of those kind of videos, and I'm going to be putting those up after this video. So with that, I will see you all next week, where we will talk about restoration agriculture, how to produce food without excessive energy inputs, essentially, and to restore the land. And with that, I will see you all next week.